or text is 1 Samuel chapter 15, uh, 17, excuse me, verse 54. And uh, Brother Mark, if we can have that picture up there. I'm going to show you a picture before we get started. Okay, you see it there. Now you can see where he's got that little gold thing, uh, orange, whatever color, red. Whatever color that is, it's right up there around the skull. Let's get that around the skull, okay? Okay, there's the skull. Now, this picture was taken in 1900, okay? And he was able to take the picture I had from 1900 and work with it to get it up there. But that's what it looked like. Now, it doesn't look quite like that anymore because the Muslims have got in there and defaced it and tried to blow parts of it up and things like that. But it's still, you can tell it's the hill of the skull. Okay, let's just go to the left of that a little bit. Down in that area, you'll see that's where the empty tomb is. And by the way, it's still empty. And uh, so in that place was a place where it was a garden. They have a well there that would have been there in that day. And then the empty tomb. And that whole mountain was actually a, a, a mountain of tombs. But on this side, there was just one tomb. You go on the other side, you see all kinds of tombs. But on this side, there's one tomb. And that was the one that's empty now. So praise the Lord for that. And I want you to get the idea of the hill of the skull uh, before we uh, get into the message today. But let's look at verse 54 here. Uh, you may want to write down some scripture references as we go along. But here in verse uh, 54, we read this. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his armor in his tent. I always wonder why he did that. Kept the armor, but took the head to Jerusalem. Well, we'll look at that in just a few moments. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, on this day that we have, especially the so many across this country and perhaps around the world are looking at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's not on a cross. He's risen. He's not in a tomb. He is risen. So thank you for that, Lord. And I thank you that he lives within the heart of everyone who has received him as Lord and Savior. If there, again, if there is one that is without Christ, I pray that today would be the day that he too lives within their heart when they receive him as their Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The Easter story actually begins with Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, where we read, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and thus shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. Then in verse 15, he says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou, that is the serpent, thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, one may wonder, how does David and Goliath blend in with Easter? Well, if you follow along, as I say, just there's some scriptural references that I'm going to be giving you as we go along that I'll be reading to you. But just keep this in mind. In Acts chapter 17, verse 11, it says the people of Berea were more noble than those of Thessalonica in that they searched the scriptures to see if those things were so. Now, who was preaching? <laughs> the Apostle Paul. And yet, the Holy Spirit through Paul says those people are noble because they're searching the scriptures to make sure those things are so. And I say that to you again, as I've said many times, when I'm preaching, 
Don't just say I agree or disagree. Search the scriptures and see if it's so. Okay. I can be wrong, but the word of God is never wrong. Okay. So always search the scriptures and, and make sure that, uh, it lines up with what the word of God has to say. So we're going to take a journey through the scriptures just to see how David, Goliath, and Easter correlate. Now, again, back in Genesis chapter three, verses 14 and 15, as I said, we had the start of the Easter story and we find out Satan is a deceiver. He entered the serpent. As a matter of fact, I believe that he was still in the serpent when all three of them were there before God. And when he said, thou shalt bruise his heel, but he shall bruise your head, I think that that's exactly what he's telling Satan at that moment. The, the serpent, he would grow on his belly throughout the rest of uh, time of all serpents would do. But the serpent was the most subtle of all the beasts of the field. And ever since then, the Bible shows that Satan is symbolized by the serpent. That's why you read in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil. And Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, he was cast out into the earth. And his angels, those that fell with him, were cast out with him. And I believe that Satan is so rightly symbolized by a serpent because what spews from his mouth is always poisonous. But as we see that, that is why Jesus, I believe, told the Pharisees in, in Matthew chapter 23, when he was preaching to the Pharisees, he called them vipers, serpents, now, why would he say that to people? Say, You're not supposed to preach that way. Jesus did, by the way. That's why they hated him. But he called them vipers and serpents. Why? Because instead of straight to the truth, Bible, doctrine, the fundamental of God's word, instead of staying with that, they started inventing scriptures and inventing things and adding things. Things that exalted themselves as Satan wanted to be exalted above the Lord and ascended to heaven. Above the mount, as Isaiah says. And so as a result, we find that Satan is a serpent. But these people that he was preaching to were doing the bidding of Satan, whether they knew it or not, because they were not standing on the word of God. In First Timothy chapter 2, verse 14, we read this. For Adam was first form, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. So we're told Adam wasn't deceived, the woman is. So why is Adam hit first? Why is he hit with Adam? Well, because his sin was definitely presumptuous. It was something he just decided he's going to go ahead and do. Eve was deceived, not Adam. The seed comes from the man. And therefore, all of Adam's uh, race would be cursed with the curse that he would have. See, Satan is a deceiver. And in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10, at the end of the millennium, when the white throne judgment is getting ready to take place, before that, uh, that judgment, we read in Revelation 20 and verse 10, these words. 
the, the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. You see, Satan is always used as his weapon, deception. It's not uh, not often that a day goes by or a week goes by that you don't hear somebody, well, does the Bible really mean that? No, could God really think that? No, is that really wrong? See, that's, that is bounded, that is founded in Satan's influence in deceiving it, it, even good Christian people. And he's able to do that. That's the power that he has. And we must stand on the word of God and say, well, God already told us this in his word. It's right. I'm going to stand by it. Always stand by the word of God. And you'll find that that is always the best way to go. Uh, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, we read of what God did for man in the day that he created him. It said, God said, let us make man in our image. You know, God there is plural in the Hebrew. You have singular, dual, and plural. Plural most often is referring to three or more. But when followed by a singular verb, as it always is when it's referring to Almighty God. It's referring to three distinct persons in one divine essence, the Trinity. And so let us, uh, uh, let them have dominion over the fish and over the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. You see, created in his image, he gave us all that authority. He gave that to man. But when man fell, he lost that dominion. And now, Satan, because he was able to deceive man and lead them to fall, he now has the dominion that was first given unto Adam. That's why you read in the Bible that he is called the God, but not the Almighty God, but he is called the God of this world. You'll notice one more thing about Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, but thou shalt bruise his heel. Her seed? Uh, the woman does not have a seed. Unless that baby would be virgin born. 4,000 years before the birth of Christ, the Bible was telling us about a virgin birth that was going to take place. Again, Acts tells us in Acts chapter 15, verse 18, known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. And that is also why when we're in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, it says, for as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation, that is your main, uh, your vain matter of living life, received by traditions from your fathers, not by the word of God, but with the precious blood of Christ you're redeemed, of a, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who barely was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Before he created man, 
because he's created in his image, he would have a free will. And by the way, when man fell, man still has a free will. Why? Because God is a spirit. We still have a spirit. We still have a spirit. Okay? So, he, he created us with a free will. But God knew giving man a free will and being tested by the devil that he would probably fall, and he did. So that man also would have a way to be saved, but by his free will, he'd have to choose to be saved. He'd have to choose to receive Christ as his Savior. And so because God knew this, God the Son became the anointed one to leave heaven's glory to pay the penalty for sin. Therefore, the Son of God became the Son of Man, that the sons of men might become sons of God. In John 1, 12, he says, As many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. He must be received as your Lord, as your God, as your Savior. But if you'll receive him, he will save you. Satan by Adam's fall assumed Adam's position of authority that had been originally assigned to Adam by God. God's reaction is that he allowed Satan to have that until he would send his son in a human body with a human spirit to take that back away. And give the authority back into man. And that day, on the cross, he defeated Satan. God the Son stood in our place when he took on humanity to be a suitable sacrifice for man. But that's also why we read in Luke chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. And the devil, remember Jesus is in the wilderness, and it says the devil tempts him. And it says, then the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, all this power, power, I will give thee and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me and to whomsoever I will give it. And Satan, that old serpent, he got that from Adam. He has that power and authority. And he can give to whom he will. Thing is, Satan doesn't know the day nor the hour himself when Jesus is going to come. We've looked over history and you see people that rose up. We can think more recently of an Adolf Hitler. We can think of other people, Lenin and others, that, that did such atrocities to man. Perhaps Satan thought, from what I can see, it's soon. But it wasn't the time. But Satan will choose the Antichrist. He will choose that beast. And they will spend forever together in the lake of fire, hating one another. But hey, we're going to be saved from all of that through Jesus Christ. It was delivered unto him to whomsoever he would give it. Now, 
somebody may ask, how was that delivered unto him? Again, Adam lost it. Satan has victory over us. I am no match for Satan. In my power, in my strength, I cannot match with Satan. I must walk in the Spirit of God. I must walk according to His Word to have victory. Without that, I will be always defeated. Therefore, man needed a Savior. We needed one that did not inherit a sin nature, the sin nature of Adam. Wherefore, the virgin birth, Emmanuel, God with us. Having seen man's lost estate with the price to purchase it back, the blood of an innocent lamb. We read in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, the stakes that were involved. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden that thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and of evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. We've told you many times the word death means separation, not cessation. We know from the word of God that, that Adam would live another 900 years after the fall. but he would be separated in spirit forever from God. God prepared, Matthew 25, verse 41 tells us, hell for the devil and his angels. It's so bad it even torments their spirits. That's why they prayed uh, at, at Gadarene. Don't send us there before the time. Let us go to that herd of swine. Hell torments the super spirits. But people who die without Jesus Christ will go to hell. Why? Because we inherited a sin nature. And when we had the opportunity to do something about it, we did not. That's why you and I, who are saved, are called to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. So having fallen into Satan's temptation, we share the same eternal flame unless, unless we get saved by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, and resurrection. With the fall and the need of a Savior who is truly one with the human body, but made a perfect sacrifice without sin, the virgin-born Emmanuel, exercising his free will in the councils of the Trinity, the Son of God who had always been the Son of God in spirit, now becomes the Son of God in a human body as well. But we next see David and Goliath. David and Goliath? But with our text involved, let us see the symbolism of three people. Look at David first. In Matthew chapter uh, 22, verses 41 through 45, we read this. And while the uh, Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, what think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. And he saith unto them, How then doth David in spirit call him Lord? Saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, 
until I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then called him Lord, how is he his son? David called him Lord as in deity, not as in a landlord. And the Pharisees knew that it was true. They knew that the word was true on that. They knew that. But they did not have an answer. Jesus is Lord. But David, who was the father of the human line through which Jesus would come when he would be born of the virgin, the seed of the father as the Holy Spirit came upon him and upon her and formed the seed inside of Mary. Not David's seed, but of David's seed. Mary, for she was of David's seed. And so, they asked, how does he call him Lord? And the Pharisees do not know. They don't have an answer. But Jesus is Lord. But David, his human father of that line, was not Christ but he was a, a symbol, a picture, a type of Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 1, verses 31 through 33, we read this. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb. This is the angel's announcement to Mary. And bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, David. How is he his father? Because Mary. Mary inherited the sin nature. But the seed was of God, not of Mary. Or not of David. It was just, she was the vehicle. And he shall reign over the house of David, of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. The paradise that was lost is now regained in Jesus Christ when he comes back. But guaranteed for those who receive him as Lord and Savior. Who does Saul represent? Well, in 1 Samuel chapter 31, verses 8 through 10, we read this. And it came to pass on the morrow when the Philistines came to strip the slain that they found Saul and his three sons fallen in Mount Geboa. And they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent into the land of the Philistines round about to publish it in the house of their idols and among the people. And they put his armor in the house of Ashtaroth, that was their God. And they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. Ashtaroth, the God of the Philistines. Saul represents a mankind who has fallen. He's supposed to be the king of God's chosen nation as Adam was supposed to have authority over God's creation. But Saul was beheaded. Their bodies are hung on a wall of the enemy with his sons being symbolic of the progeny of, of mankind, of Adam, who need a savior or they're forever separated from God. Every man who dies without Christ, Satan looks at them as a trophy on his trophy case. You say, what about Goliath? 
He is symbolic of the devil and evil. Notice in verse 40 that, that uh, David gets five smooth stones. Why? Because there were five major cities in there. We look at called Gaza today. We look at that place, Lebanon and so forth through there. But there were five major cities they had. That, that represented all the power, the law, the strength of everything that was there. And it was an evil kingdom. And it represented the whole of the Philistine world. The world was coming against the people of God to try to eliminate them. But Goliath, in verse 43, is a type of Satan. Too big for man of himself to overcome or defeat. Man needs a savior. All the men of, of Saul, they shake when this guy comes out. They're scared of They all know that they can't face him. But David knows the power of his God. And so he goes down to meet him. But there is Goliath. A symbol of Satan, who is cursing David, who is a type of Christ. Verse 4, verse 23, verse 51 referred to Goliath as their champion. Just like those in the tribulation who worship the devil, the dragon, as Revelation chapter 13 tells us. And he's defeated. And, and therefore, those Armies, just like the armies of the Philistines fled when their champion was defeated. Those in Revelation that said they gave and worshipped the dragon, the devil. They shall begin to cry for the rocks and the mountains to fall on them when they see Jesus Christ coming back in his wrath. There they are on the field of battle. There's a, a small and height teenage boy, a sheep herder. Going against a giant man of war. Proven in war. And the fate of the nation rests on that teenage boy's shoulders. But is anything too hard for God? A teen boy saves a nation. That's great news. But Jesus Christ came to save a world. But how does our text tie in with Easter? Well, verse 54, And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it into Jerusalem. But he put the armor in his tent. I don't know why the armor is separate, but I think I have an idea. He brings the head to Jerusalem, verse 54 says. So don't miss the symbolism that is here. David is not the king yet. Saul is. But there is a place when you stand on the Mount of Olives, you can look to the left and see a place of buildings and all that. That place in Jerusalem is called the City of David. And that same mount that I was talking about, the Mount of Olives, one day Jesus is going to return and he's going to stand on that mount as it parts. And the people come out of their graves. But you say, what about this? You see, once David became the king, then he sent his armies to Jerusalem and to claim Jerusalem and to 
remove the Jebusites. When Saul was king, Jerusalem did not belong to them. But he, in faith, took that skull to Jerusalem even before he would be a king. Years before he'd be a king. When Jesus comes at the end of the tribulation, he removes the Antichrist and his false prophet. And then Jesus, the son of man, Jesus, the son of David, Jesus, who's more importantly, the son of God, he comes to rule. We looked at the picture of the hill of the skull. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly where or what David did with the skull, but I just kind of wonder if it was buried on that mountain. And as the blood flowed down, oh my goodness, the blood flows down, and he stomped on the head the skull of the one who represented Satan. The serpent. One wonders, well, yeah, but wasn't he dead? Oh yes, that was a that was what the cost. <laughs> but you know what? Three days later he rose. He had to tell Mary Magdalene, hey, touch me not. I've not yet ascended. Don't touch me right now. I've not ascended up there. Wait. But he would have sinned. And I wonder if he just got another good kick on that skull as he ascended up into heaven and applied the blood that paid for all of our sin at the great mercy seat of heaven. Oh, what a picture that is. All who died in him before the cross, but they believed in the coming Messiah. They were in a place called paradise, which we believe was below the earth. But the Bible tells us that he preached to the souls down there. I, he preached to the devils. He preached to all those across that great gulf that is down there. But those people that were with Abraham and Lazarus and the others that were there, he caught up to heaven. He led the captivity captive, the Bible tells us. So that when you and I die, our spirits, that very moment, are caught up to heaven. And we are with the Lord. The payment is full. It is paid. When he said it is finished, the payment was full. But my resurrection is because he rose up from the dead on his own. With no help. He had the power to lay it down, and he had the power to take it up again, and he did. And so it comes down to man. What are you going to do about it? Do you know that if you died today, that heaven's your home? Jesus died on the cross for all of our sins. We've heard of people that get saved and, and, and they were drunkards. Maybe they were harlots. Maybe they were murderers. And, and, and you read in the Bible, people just like that, that, that happened to them. They got saved. Moses murdered. Paul essentially murdered him that he gave the go-ahead to kill Stephen with stones. 
But God saved them. He saved them. Oh, Satan has great power, but where sin abounded, God's grace did much more abound. He not only can save, but he can make those saved souls trophies of grace. And so there is a hope, a living hope, a sure hope, a blessed hope, because one day we'll be caught up to be with the Lord. Do you know that if you die today, that heaven's your home? What must you do? First admit, I'm a sinner and I cannot save myself. I do not deserve to go to heaven. I do not deserve eternal life with the Lord. I deserve hell. See, for the wages of sin is death. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's what the Bible says. The Bible's never wrong. We all deserve to go to hell. But God commendeth his love toward us. Us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, when we looked at that picture a little while ago, I just remember the last few times being in Israel and leaving the judgment hall where he received all those stripes and walking that road all the way from there to Golgotha and the empty tomb. We celebrated the Lord's Supper there, remembering that tomb is empty. He arose. Did I deserve salvation? No. Look, we all have things that we don't want to give a testimony about in our past. I don't want people to know. If we've sinned against people, we need to make things right with people. But really, God knows our sins. He forgives us. He cleanses us. And he promises everlasting life. So he said that thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord, deity, God, the Lord Jesus, his humanity. That thou shalt confess thy mouth the Lord Jesus. That he was indeed the one that died for your sins and was buried and rose from the dead. The Lord Jesus. That thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart. Trust him with your life. That God has raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart Man believeth unto righteousness. That is the righteousness of Christ makes me accepted in him before God. If I receive him. As many as received him, to them gave you the power to become the sons of God. You can become a child of God. If you're not sure, make sure today. But if you are a child of God, I know you wouldn't want to be just partially saved. But our dedication, our sanctified living, don't think, well, I just want to be partially dedicated. Somebody that would love me that much and take my punishment. He needs my full heart dedication. My life dedication. Believing with the heart. You know, we can go outside today and get in the car. Say, my car will do 100 miles an hour. I can believe that and push it all the way to the floor and get going 100 miles an hour. But I can also say, I also believe that if I crash in the car, it's going to kill me. So if I really believe 
they're going 100 miles an hour to kill me. I won't go 100 miles an hour. But if I say I believe it, but go 100 miles an hour anyway, then I didn't really believe it with my heart. I didn't trust it. I said, I can do it. Don't say, I can do it. I can get to heaven on my own. You can't. Jesus is the only way. He says, I am the way, the truth, and life, and no man comes unto the Father but by me. Without him, your destiny is hell. Oh, please receive him. Let's bow our heads.